things. And so this morning we want to have a bit of a talk about that in terms of like what is it, what is it that Jesus actually has done for us and has accomplished for us. Um, and you'll see that right in the middle we've got communion because that really is our focus. Um, and so we're going to soon be sharing in that. So I'll have a, a few words, we'll have a bit of a korero, um, and then we're going to move into a time of taking communion together. Um, so... The thing with it being Resurrection, though, is that, sorry, Resurrection Sunday means that some other events have had to have taken place. And over the last uh, couple of days, um, we have been sitting in that space. Uh, uh, On Good Friday, we were sitting in the space uh, of uh, the, the, the sorrow and the pain that comes with Jesus's crucifixion. And then yesterday, Holy Saturday, we were sitting in a, in a place where we were experiencing like kind of the, the bleakness or the emptiness of, of Jesus' death. Uh, and those, those days can be uncomfortable days. And, and we can only imagine what it was like for the disciples in that time. Uh, because like we benefit from the end of the story. Um, but they didn't. And so they really were sitting in the sorrow and the pain and the bleakness and the emptiness. Um, in a sense, just the, like, the overwhelming sense of like hope being dashed. And, and as Christians, as we move into Easter and to this day, we kind of journey that with them. Uh, because the thing is, is that in this day and age, we kind of like want to push off from things when they get a little bit uncomfortable or hard or like tricky, eh? Like we, we want to like get to the good stuff. And I mean, uh, it, even when it comes to like, for example, like reading a book or watching a movie, we know that when things are, you know, like the story's kind of dragging on or getting a bit monotonous or we're feeling a little bit even uncomfortable with the storyline, it's very easy to like fast forward a few scenes or skip a few pages or skip a few chapters. You know you chapter skippers who you are and that. Um, my, uh, my beautiful uh, wife, she is somebody who um, definitely uh, sees like, like the best in the world. Uh, and so to a degree she struggles when there is like those moments of like just sadness or, or, or bleakness or emptiness. And so she is one of those people who if things aren't going well, she will go to like the last chapter and read it just so that she can know how things are going to land. So she can like be okay with the story a little bit more. But I think that, and that's not like a judgy thing at all. I think that that's, the, that's something really beautiful about her because I think as humans, we do struggle when things start to get uncomfortable. And the last couple of days have been that journey for us. Um, on Good Friday, uh, we uh, had a reflective space here uh, with a few stations uh, where we were considering all that Jesus had done for us. And Jesus, he knew this, this tension um, better than anybody, really, I, I would say. Um, because one of the passages that we focused on uh, on Good Friday uh, when we were here was Mark 14, where Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with uh, some of his uh, closest friends and disciples, Peter, James, and John. And, he, and uh, when he is like... When he goes there with them uh, and he, he starts to share about what he is experiencing, like what he is going through, and he says these words, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I mean, like we have all experienced like hardships in our lives. And in fact, you here this morning, you might be in a season where that is very much your story right now. But I think that Jesus really, um, he, he sat in this tension more than anybody um, because he was in this space where he was so overwhelmed with the sorrow that he was experiencing that it was as if death was right there with him. And he knew what that was like and he knew what he was heading into. Um, after Jesus expresses these things to his disciples and to his dearest friends, he then says, hey, can you guys keep watch with me? Um, I'm just going to go over here. Um, and when he does that, he goes and he cries out to his father. He cries out. And the, the words are like, um, they're deep. But at the same time, we can sense in them kind of like the conflict that is going on. Because Jesus was not just like human, but fully God as well, fully human and fully God. And we, we see this war like kind of like waging within him. And he says this when he cries out to his Father in heaven, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Yet, not what I will, but you, what you will. And these words like, are seemingly prayed into the quiet of the night without any answer in that moment. Because like, all the accounts and all the Gospels talk about how, when this happens very soon after Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested and then these, this series of events take place where ultimately Jesus is falsely accused of a bunch of stuff and then he goes into an unfair trial and then finally he was... Um, uh, crucified, a criminal's death he experiences, having not committed any crime himself. And so we can, as Jesus prays these words, it's almost like he's praying it into the quiet of the night without there being any answer. Yet at the same time, we know that Jesus knew the will of the Father and like what that exactly was. Jesus says that, like, Throughout, we can read it throughout, um, not throughout, in different parts of, especially in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I don't do anything apart from my, what my Father wills. And, and there's this, this beautiful like, relationship that we see that Jesus has with his Father in heaven. Um, but not only, not only does he know exactly what the will of his Father was, he also knows what the outcome would be if he did not go to the cross for you and for me here this morning. He knew that, and he carried that, and he went to the cross with that, knowing full well what awaited him, but at the same time, if he didn't, what that would mean. And I think that as, as humans, like we can get very familiar with a story like this. As Christians, we can get very familiar with a story like this, and we can like skim over it and miss out on the fact that Jesus was still human. He, he had to experience all of the, the emotions and the tension that came from that. And yet at the same time, he was fully God. He was fully God. And he knew where this was going and what had to be done. I cannot imagine what that would be like. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 to 20, uh, it says this, For God, 
was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So that is God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is where it gets a bit personal. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It can be really easy to think that there is like a disparity between the Father and Jesus, like as we go through the story of what, uh, sorry, go through the account of the cross and the, the prayers that Jesus is praying. When we hit things like where Jesus is like, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And uh, Father, if you can, take this cup from me. And then eventually, you know, like when he's on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can get the sense that there is a disparity between like what, what the father was willing and what the son was doing. But here, the apostle Paul, when he was writing this to the church in, Coloss uh, in Colossae, he speaks about how there was actually a complete unity between the father and the son. And those words, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. This morning, family, do you know that you are one of those things? Do you know that you are one of those things this morning? That God was pleased to have his fullness, like, uh, sorry, pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile all things, including you and me, here this morning, 2,000 years on from that event in history, so that we could be in relationship with God again. Do you know that this morning, family? I think it's so important that we come and we sit and we, we experience that. We allow those words to sink in. We let them affect our heart and make us feel uncomfortable Because once you were alienated from God, you were alienated from God, you were an enemy of God. But through Jesus, God has made peace, as it says. And so the father willingly gave up his son, willingly gave up his son, who he had been in perfect relationship with since forever. Okay, there was not a beginning of that relationship. It was a forever relationship. It has always been. It will always be. And the Father and the Son are in perfect relationship with one another. They were in communion with each other. And the Father gave that up. There is harmony between the Father and the Son in that decision. And the son willingly went to the cross, obeying his father and laying down his life so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be saved, so that we could enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. And he did so also willingly, willingly. 
There is no disparity between what God was doing on that day. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what had to happen for you and for me to be in relationship with him, to experience his life, to enter into his kingdom and to know him personally. There is no disparity in God's plan there. God was not taken off guard. He was not like shocked by the series of events that occurred that day. We read throughout Scripture, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, even describing these series of events. God knew what it would take for you and for you and for you and for you and for me to know him personally and to experience his life and his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. That is what Jesus willingly did. And that is what we remember at Easter. And so this morning, I want to end with these words in John 10, verse 18. And this is what Jesus says. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and to also take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Can you see there again that there is just like harmony, there is unity in what was being done. God knew what needed to be done so that what we experience now in relationship with him could be accomplished. And so as, we, as I end this piece this morning, as we move into taking communion, I just want to focus really quickly on just these few, like the, the opening two sentences in this verse. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Is what Jesus has done for us. And it's something that um, if you're anything like me and you've been a Christian for a while, we can kind of almost become numb to. <laughs> but this is what Jesus has done, and he did it voluntarily. He willingly was accused wrongly, beaten, bruised, broken, put on a cross and died a criminal's death so that we could know him, so that we could love him. Because while we were still far from him, he did what was needed so that we could then be again close to him. And so this morning, family, we're moving into a time of taking communion together where really we are recognizing something that Jesus like implemented just before he went to the cross. So in a way, this Sunday is no different to any other Sunday, but we are joining with Christians who for a very long time now have chosen this date to remember what Jesus has done. And so we join with them. But we also join with all the Christians who over the next 24 hours around the world will also be partaking in this and remembering and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. Guys, we are part of a really, really big family. And we are sons and daughters of the Most High King of Heaven and dwelt by His Spirit, greatly loved and cherished, you are the beloved of God. And we partake in this feast this morning because Jesus says we can. He commanded that we do it. And so we want to. And so wherever you're at, wherever you are at this morning, 
we do want to invite you to this table, not because it's something that we have prepared, but it's because something that Jesus has prepared. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, over the next however long it takes, family, we're going to come together and we're going to receive communion. We're going to partake in the story of Jesus. We're going to receive from him by taking this bread and this grape juice. You'll also see that there's some grapes and some almonds. Feel free to grab those as well. Because what we do want to uh, signify by that is the fact that Jesus was doing this around a table with his friends. And this morning, Jesus is doing this around a table with his friends. You are a friend of God because he says so. And so I'm going to pray and then feel free to come forward and take it. We've got um, gluten-free crackers as well for those of you who uh, need those. But feel free in this time to either take it on your own if that is what you need to do or to grab a, a few friends or whanau and to take it together. Because we are here this morning, we are able to be in community this morning uh, because of what Jesus has done. And so if that is what you need to do, feel free to also do that. So family, just invite you um, to just stand with me um, as we now just pray uh, into uh, receiving communion. And the reason that I wanted us to stand is I think that it's really important for us to engage our bodies in, in our faith. Uh, we can often, uh, in a way, kind of like hyper-spiritualize something and, and forget that it's meant to impact every part of us. But Scripture says that we can boldly stand before God. And so this morning, we're doing that. We're, we're boldly standing, not because of what you've accomplished this week. <laughs> it's definitely not because of what I've accomplished this week. We are standing because of what Jesus has accomplished and what he is doing still today. And so, as we take this, I invite you to stand with me. And if you want even to put your hands out in a posture of receiving, knowing that all that we have this morning is from Jesus, because of Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Let's pray, family. Jesus, we, um, we thank you uh, for this meal that you implemented before you um, went through what we can only um, imagine. And we do a shoddy job even at that. What you willingly um, went through for us. And so we do uh, receive this bread and this grape juice. as free gifts from you, not because we've earned it or deserved it, but because you love us. So Jesus, we need you. And we just ask that you would, over this next, however long this is, just stir in our hearts. Draw us closer to yourself. 
We thank you that this bread, that this bread uh, is uh, like somehow wonderfully representative of your body that was broken for us. That this grape juice, your blood shed for us. We thank you, Jesus. And now as family, we receive it together as your friends. Because you have invited us to your table. In your name, we pray these things. In the name of King Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, kia ora, everyone. Hey, um, so this is part two of the sermon. So Dave and I decided to kind of tag team preach this morning. So he did um, a bit on the cross, and then the plan was for me to do another kind of 10 minutes or so on the resurrection. But one of the rules that Dave and I have uh, here at church is that if the Holy Spirit takes you somewhere else, you go there. You don't, like, fight him. And it was the weirdest thing this week when I was preparing the sermon. I just kept trying to write a sermon focused on the resurrection, and it just felt like God kept going back to the cross. And I was like, no, it's meant to be on the resurrection, wrestle back, and then So after about two hours of wrestling, I thought, yeah, probably a good idea for me to give in and just listen to what Jesus is trying to tell me to do. So you're going to get part two on the cross, which is all good. I'll start with a bit of a sad thing, right? So I always find Easter now is quite a sad time for myself and my sisters, um, so my dad passed away on Easter Friday uh, about five years ago, I think it is now, and my dad was like a pastor, preacher, and all that kind of stuff forever, and he just loved Easter. Easter was like a huge thing for him, and uh, he had had cancer for a whole bunch of years, and the doctors didn't think he'd make it through Christmas, and he made it through Christmas, and then they were like, oh, he won't make it through January, and then my mum started saying, no, no, he'll make it to Easter, because he loves Easter, there's no way he's going to die before Easter, and then the closer we got to Easter, he was like sick, sick, real sick, and you know, kind of almost in a coma and all that stuff, mum's like, no, nah, he'll make it to Easter, and we were like, mum, I don't know that he will, and then sure enough, Easter Friday, he's died, right, and we were like, what, so Easter is always sad to me, and then last year, during lockdown, um, a week after Easter, my mum passed away. So when I hit Easter, I'm always kind of like, oh, it's kind of a sad time for me, right? Um, and for my sisters, oh my gosh, we've been texting and they're very upset. Um, one of the things I, that it makes me think about is how upset were the disciples when Jesus died, right? Um, Jesus didn't die of cancer. <laughs> um, Jesus was executed brutally, as Dave explained. And the bigger thing for the disciples is they just had no idea what was going on. So we look back and we kind of understand and we see the prophecies that Jesus is saying that he's going to die and the rationale behind why he's going to die to save the world and all this stuff. But you've got to remember the disciples just have no idea. They are just totally confused. So they're following this rabbi, this teacher, this Messiah, this chosen one from God. They've been with him for three years. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him heal people whose legs don't work. Blind. And they're just like, this is the guy. This is the guy that is going to get rid of the Romans, that is going to lead us to the new kingdom. They're like, Jesus, you know, they're like, on board with him. And then the next minute, 
he's arrested and falsely accused and he's on a cross and it's like, ah! And you see them run, right? They all desert him, right? Even John Mark runs away naked, which I always find is hilarious that someone wrote that down in the Bible. Um, because they're just terrified. They just have no idea what's going on. And so the two days between the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples are just, what, what, what? <laughs> they're like, he was the guy. <laughs> I thought he was the Messiah. Isn't he the promise, but he's died? What? They're just totally confused. And we look back and we're like, how did you miss the prophecies? And they just missed the prophecies. You see it real clearly. Um, if you've got your Bible, jump over to John 20. Um, you can see it real clearly in there. Um, John 20. We're just going to read the first 10 verses um, here. Oh, I don't know. Can you make that go, Morgan? Um, John 20, just the first 10 verses. Um, early on Sunday morning, which is us, whoop, whoop, uh, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, which would have freaked her out, right? Because you've seen videos and, and pictures and stuff, but the stone was massive, and the stone would take two or three people at least to roll it away. And so when she gets there and it's rolled away, she'd be like, what the heck is going on? Again, remembering she's not expecting this, right? The whole idea of Jesus rising from the dead, no idea for, for this Mary. Um, so she runs and finds Simon Peter and the other disciple, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, which is John, right? So John's Jesus' best friend. John is the one that um, Jesus loved. He's always described like that. Um, and she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And her plan is to go and find him and put him back, right? Because she thinks he's dead. She doesn't think he's risen or anything like that. She thinks the Romans have stolen him or the Jewish leaders to do something of Nick. And she's like, we've got to find him to get him back in the tomb because that's where he should be because she thinks he's dead. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. I love this next verse. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And every time I read that, I'm like, why? Is John just faster but why did he write it down? Because it seems kind of weird. And I always wonder, this. this is just a weird wondering of me. When you have a really, 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 really good friend and they're sick, you just want to be there. You just want to be beside them. And I've always wondered if there's something in the back of John's head that he's like, my best friend, maybe something. You know, because he's got these ideas. Has he risen? Has he they've stole? What's happening? And I always wonder if he just runs because he's got love legs. Is how I always know that's a real weird phrase. But he just wants to be there to be with Jesus. I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. Um, but anyway, he beats Simon Peter. Woo! He reached the tomb first. He stooped um, and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived. And we know Simon Peter's always just like blasting around everywhere. And when inside, he noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in, and I love this, and he saw and believed. And this is the key bit here. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead, meaning the Old Testament, meaning what Jesus has said. Until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. And there's this massive change that when they see Jesus is not there, and they see that the, the wrapping for his head is folded up, they get the significance of this, and it's this whole, this is change. He's alive. Oh, it's crazy. And I love the last verse. It always cracks me up. Then they went home. And I'm like, really? You just found out that Jesus is who you hoped and he's risen from the dead, which shouldn't be happening. And then you're like, no, let's go home and what, make coffee? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just always find that verse very, very weird. 
Alrighty, so that's where we're, we're kind of heading. And, and you would have seen the little heading before this um, that I put up, this life or death, right? Um, or death or, or, or life, that's kind of what I want to talk about. Um, one of the key things to be thinking about with the resurrection is the resurrection is proof that the cross worked. Does it make sense, eh? So a lot of people will think, oh, the resurrection, a whole bunch of special spiritual stuff happened at the resurrection. It's like, no, not at all. It all happened at the cross, right? Which is why at the end of the crucifixion, Jesus says, is finished. Yeah? Yeah? Which means it's, it's accomplished, it's done. So what Jesus is saying is that on the cross in those three hours of darkness, that's when he secured our salvation. That's when he became sin for us, even though he was pure and righteous and holy and perfect and good and had never sinned. He became sin for us. And so in those three hours of darkness, that's when God punishes Jesus in our place with our sin. And so that's why at the end of it, he goes, it's finished. It's done. I have accomplished salvation for humanity. And then he breathes his last and he dies, right? And so the thing we see in the resurrection, the resurrection proves that the cross worked, right? So you think of it like this. Because Jesus paid for our sin, he became sin for us, but he paid for it. He endured the wrath of God. He completed our salvation at the end of the cross, and then he dies, but he can't stay dead because death is a result of sin, and now he is not sin because he's paid, he's finished, he's done it. And so when we see him rise from the dead on Easter Sunday, it's like, yes! (laughs) This proves that the whole crucifixion thing worked, right? Because if it didn't work, if he didn't actually pay for our sin, if he didn't fulfill the punishment that God put on him, he would have to stay dead. And we would all be not saved, which would stink. Is that making sense? You're with me, eh? A couple of people. Thank you, those two people. (laughs) Um, The easy thing to remember is there's nothing magical, if you like, nothing spiritual, nothing special in the resurrection, apart from the fact that the resurrection proves to us that the cross worked. It proves to us that death has no hold on Jesus, therefore death has no hold on us who believe in him, who are connected to him, right? Um, I want to real briefly unpack a couple of verses from Colossians chapter 2. So Dave was looking a bit at Colossians chapter 1, and here's um, some verses from Colossians. Whoa, Morgan's one step ahead of me, shot Morgan. I love this. I look at this, and you see this death life thing coming out here. Um, I'll put it on the screen for you. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Uh, you were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave us all our sins. He cancelled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That last verse is real confusing, so I want to unpack that. Um, This is is the first little point here. Um, Our brilliant choices lead um, to death, right? Our brilliant choices lead to death. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a silly story. Um, often, often when we, we make foolish decisions that lead to sin, right? It, it's not that we started out to do something evil. Sometimes we start out to do something good, but because we're fallen, messed up humans, we end up doing sin. Sometimes our sins are deliberate, to be blunt and horrible, right? Sometimes we literally go out of our way to do a sin. We just do, right? Because we're evil. <laughs> um, show of hands. No, joking. Um, everyone's like, what are you talking about? Um, but sometimes we don't start out to do evil, but we end up doing something dumb. And it's just because we're messed up human. So a quick story. Um, this is a special story for any builders in our church, right? Um, Jose and I have renovated a few houses over the years. And we were renovating a house um, out where we live now. And we'd um, taken some Rimu um, 
See, I don't know all the technical terms. Boards? I don't even know what they're called. Out. It was like a three by two remu. It's super old. Our house is like 100 years old, so it's a real old piece of remu. And it had old rusty nails in it. I'm just going to walk over here and punch Nick for abusing my lack of building terms. So rude, bro. Um, and it had all these rusty nails in it, and I wanted to get the nails out because I wanted to use the remu again, right? And so I had um, a, a good hammer. I have a manly hammer. And I was trying to pull out the nail, but it had rusted itself in there and it was been in there for like 100 years and it was just laughing at me which made me really ticked off and so I have two crowbars which is exceptionally manly okay so some men one crowbar me two crowbars I have a small good crowbar and then my exceptionally manly crowbar so because the nail was mocking me I got the exceptionally manly crowbar Hook, and I was like, this bad boy's coming out now. And it's a big crowbar, so I was reaching away. And then the nail in its final effort to mock me, the head popped off the nail. And so I was pulling on the crowbar with all my strength, so the crowbar just went thunk straight into my head. And I got this massive cut <laughs> in my head. And blood, you know how head wounds just bleed? Like, there's this blood everywhere. And I go to Joe's, who's somewhere between laughing at me and, no, no, she was, I'm sure, moved to compassion. Laughing? <laughs> Joseph's saying not laughing. Yeah, there was a lot of blood, right? Um, anyway, long story to say, didn't mean to do something stupid. I started out with the best intentions and removing the stupid nail, but it got the best of me and I ended up stuffing up. And I think that's the way a lot of us go with um, sin. Our, if you ask us, we don't go, yeah, I've, I've planned to do sin in my life so that it would lead to death, so that it would lead me away from God. It's just kind of like that's what we do. We don't mean to, but we just end up sinning all the time. And what Paul says in here is that our our choices have led us to death, right? And the Bible always defines death as separation. So the Bible always defines death as separation. And what what the Bible means by that is when someone physically dies, um, it just means there's a separation of their soul, their spirit, their mind, the the real them from their body. Uh, When Adam and Eve sin in the garden and they experience death, when they eat the fruit, they don't instantly physically die. And you're kind of like, what? Did God lie? And it's like, no, 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 no. They did die spiritually because they experienced separation from God, right? So death is always a separation. And so when Paul says in these verses in Colossians that our, our choices, our sin leads us to death, he's talking about two kinds of death. The first one, and they're real closely related, the first one is it is spiritual separation. So all of us have sinned. We are instantly separated from God when we sin, right? We're no longer connected to him. And the problem with that is because we were designed to be connected to God, because we were designed to be in communion with God, instantly it leads to the second separation, which is a separation from the fullness of life that God intends for us to have. And so one thing's, and we kind of cheat because a lot of us have been Christians for a long time, and so we forget what it was like before we moved into a relationship with God, where you just don't have that fullness of life. And Jesus says it in John 10.10, right? He says, the whole reason I came was to give them a full life, meaning a joyful life, an overflowing life, an awesome life. But because of our sin, we're separated from God. And because we're separated from God, we're separated from that fullness of life, right? So that's the first thing Paul's saying. Pretty simple. Our, our brilliant choices um, lead to death. They lead to the separation from the life that God intended for us, from being connected with him. And that leads us to the next little bit in here. Um, God's brilliant move leads to life, right? God's brilliant move leads to life. Um, there's a, a line in those verses in Colossians 2 that I just love. It says, Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. And I love the, the very 
deliberate comparison Paul is making in here. Paul's saying, when you make the choices, when you do the actions, it leads to your death because you sin and you just stuff up all the time. But when God gets involved, when God makes the choices, it leads to life. And he says that real clearly, right? But God or then God. I just love that, eh? this real clear comparison. Let's look at the verse again. I'll, I'll just unpack that last little bit. You were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, <coughs> then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Um, I just love this that last phrase by Paul. Let me read it again. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Um, the easiest way to understand this is that Paul's talking about, and this sounds a little bit technical, but if you stay with me, you'll be like, oh, it's not technical at all. I totally understand that. What Paul's talking about here is the, the record of charges against us is always the Old Testament law. That's what he's talking about, right? And the simple way he's explaining it, and he says this in Romans and all through the Bible, but what he's meaning is that um, for anyone who is, is a human, the, the whole purpose of the law was to prove to us that we can't get to God that we can't live a right, perfect life. And the idea was you look at the law and you look at the law like kind of a checklist and go, have I done all these things? Have I lived perfect? And the answer is like, no, 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 right? So there's the um, Ten Commandments and then there's a whole bunch of other laws in the Old Testament. And the idea was that anyone would look at it and go, am I right? Am I perfect? Can I be connected with God? And you'd look at it and be like, the first one, lust. And you're like, dang it, I've failed straight away. The next one, covetousness, oh, dang, yeah, I've, oh, my neighbours have got a cool bar, I'll take that one off. The next one, anger, no, that's never, oh, darn it, yeah, anger, you know. The next one, you know, and the idea is you look at the law and then you look at yourself and you're like, man, I'm stuffed. <laughs> There's just no way I'm ever going to get to God because I'm not perfect. The law is like this, this proof to me that I sin, right? And so what Paul's saying in this verse here, I'll read it again, he cancelled the record of charges against us, he took it away by nailing it to the cross. I just love this. What he's saying is that, so if you remember when Jesus was crucified, they put that, um, that sign up on the top. Does anyone remember what it said? What was the sign that was nailed up that Pilate put up? Anyone remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, right? And remember the Jewish leaders came and said, no, 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 no. Say he claimed to be the King of the Jews. And Pilate's like, no, nah, what I've written, I've written. So when they crucified someone, most of the time, not always, but most of the time they would put up um, on a sign what they were guilty of so that anyone walking past could see, oh, that's why they're being crucified. <coughs> and what Paul's saying here, which I think is super powerful, is that really, and this gets a bit kind of crazy Jewish stuff here, but what Paul's saying is that every one of us should be crucified, right? Every one of us has done sin. That was the first part of that verse. Every one of us has done evil, so every one of us should pay for our sin. And if we were going to be crucified, put up on a sign would be a list of all the sins, all the things we've done wrong, the things that we haven't fulfilled in the law. But what Paul's saying here is because Jesus took our place, Jesus goes on the cross in our place, and Jesus takes our record of sins and cancels it, removes it, so that when God looks at us, when God looks at me, when God looks at you, there is no sin anymore, which just blows my brains because I'm like, yeah, but I still sin. And God's like, yeah, but it's paid for. It's done. It's gone. It's dealt with on the cross. So when God looks at Ben, I keep thinking about you. I don't know why when I was preparing the sermon, so that's my fault. When God looks at Ben, Ben still sins occasionally. Like there was this one time six years ago, and since then, perfect. Not. 
When God looks at Ben, God sees someone who is as pure and righteous and perfect and good as God himself is. Why? Because Ben's amazing? No. <laughs> ben is amazing, but yeah, so right. No, but because the, the record of wrongs, the evil that Ben's done has been nailed to the cross, removed and taken away. It makes sense, eh? But I look at Ben and I go, yeah, why? Ben, why would this, the creator of the universe die in your place and remove your sin? It's like, man, because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he cares about Ben. I'm like, what the heck? Hey, let me finish with this little quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, I love this. Um, this is, he's talking about the resurrection. He says, The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, and I love this next bit, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. And then I love how he finishes it. Everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different because he has done so. In other words, everything changes for us because of the resurrection, because the resurrection proves to us that the cross worked, that our salvation is secured. Man, I just love that. Hey, Etu, let's all stand up and let me pray for us. And then we're going to carry on with some worship. Is the worship team, you guys want to come back up? That'd be cool. Um, one of the things that just kept going around and around in my head when I was preparing this week was that I, uh, and I, I want to say this real carefully. Um, Jesus said it himself in John 10, 10, right? I, I came that you would have fullness of life. Um, I don't want to, I'm going to shut my eyes when I say this because I don't want to catch anyone's eyes. I just keep talking to people in our church that are not experiencing that fullness of life. Yeah, there's hard stuff. There's seasons of hardship and struggles and all that. I'm not meaning you just walk around on, on cloud nine all the time. Um, but I just want to remind you, Jesus came to give you fullness of life, fullness of joy, fullness of, of expectation, fullness of understanding what it means that your sins are removed, that you, your name is written in heaven, that you're ready for an eternity with God. Um, I just keep talking to people that that don't get that, don't grasp that. So one of the things I'd love to say to you, please, if that's you, if you're sitting here listening to Dave talk, listen to me, sitting in worship, and you're like, oh, I'm just not experiencing this fullness of life, life in its fullness. And I just really want to say to you, man, you're missing something. You're missing something, because that is why Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus didn't hang on the cross to give you an okay, oh yeah, life. He hung on the cross to give you fullness of life, fullness of joy, fullness of expectation that you would experience his empowerment. I just want to encourage you to reach out to someone in church that you know. Um, ask someone to catch up with you for a coffee or a Coke or a whatever. And just talk to them and say, oh, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm in a relationship with God, I know that, but I'm not experiencing this fullness of life. The Almighty God, can you just echo that into our souls? Um, either Jesus lied, <laughs> um, or some of us are missing that fullness of life that Jesus came to bring. Um, yeah, we're in a relationship, yeah, we're connected with you, um, but it just feels like we're being overwhelmed by stuff. I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, Jesus, thanks for your death on the cross. Um, I, you know, I, I don't understand the, by a long shot the fullness of what it means that you became sin, that you took our sin. But I do know I'm ridiculously thankful. Oh, my gosh. Ridiculously thankful. Um, thanks that we have times like this where we come to church together. We worship you and we just feel our souls lifted. We just feel so like, I'm so glad for the cross. I'm so thankful for the cross. Thank you for rising again. I know that sounds cheesy, but thank you for rising again. Thanks that now I'm not praying, I don't know, to a tomb or something ridiculous like heaps of religions, but I am praying to the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, the the risen Lord Jesus. Thank you that you hear our prayers, that you respond to our prayers. Thank you for the fullness of life that you give to us because you died and rose again. Amazing. Almighty God, can you be with us now as we continue to worship? Um, I just pray for maybe a freshness of connection with you as we sing. Um, A freshness of being reminded again what it means that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And in doing that, he brings us eternal life. He brings us full life, God. Just meet us in this worship now. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.